Good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark, and at Barah Ministries we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, the God-man, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home are Christians. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord, because Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing, and he is not a concept. Just as we do with anyone we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord, and we do that through the study of his word. You can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind, and the Bible is his exact thinking. Today's Bible lesson, spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married? Spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married? Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. On Monday, we celebrate Memorial Day. It's much more than just the official, unofficial start of summer or a time to dust off the barbecue grill, on Memorial Day, we celebrate those who made the ultimate sacrifice, those who shed blood, those who gave their lives in combat, and some of their bodies rest quietly beneath chalk-white headstones. My cousin is one of those people. Leonard Beatty, Jr., on November 20th, 1968, not long after my 13th birthday, my cousin, Private First Class Leonard Beatty Jr., was killed in the Vietnam conflict. He was an infantryman in the United States Army, and he died in ground combat. And I remember him vividly. I remember his funeral, and it was a really sad time for the family to see uh, such a young member of the family have his life snuffed out so many miles from home. I have an etching of his name from the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., hanging above my office door. And I think about him every day. And I flash back to his face in the casket, and I realize how precious the gift of life is that we've been given by our Lord. And even if some think the Vietnam conflict was meaningless, his country ordered him to go, and he went. And that's called integrity. That's called honor. And I am proud to remember my cousin and the principle of freedom for which he stood. He brought credit to our great nation and to our family. There is nothing profound, more profoundly American than Memorial Day. Throughout our history, American servicemen and servicewomen have willingly put their lives on the line to preserve its freedoms. The greatness of this republic is founded on the selfless service of these ordinary heroes. So, as you celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, please remember Memorial Day is the time in the United States when we remember the men and women who died while serving in this country's armed forces. And whether it's men and women from our country or whether it's men and women from allied nations, we pause every year 
to give our tribute to those who imitated the Lord Jesus Christ by dying for us. Let's remember these brave people and the ideals that inspired them, especially the ideal that there is something greater than self. This thought originated from and was demonstrated best by the sovereign God of the universe, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he died for our sins at the cross. He humiliated himself by taking on the form of flesh and living a sinless life so that he could go to the cross and suffer the most humiliating death in the history of mankind so that he could pay for our sins. And on the third day he rose again, and he is a living God who has us personally in mind. And There are no words that can ease the pain of family members who have lost heroes in battle. As I brought up uh, this, the whole thought, all the thoughts of my cousin Leonard yesterday, the pain was there all over again. And it's something that just goes to the background so that you can survive, but you still feel it and you never forget it. If someone once said, grief shared is, more, is grief that is more easily borne. So today, we honor the families of these heroes and we grieve with them as we listen to the Armed Forces Medley, a collection of fight songs of each military organization in the United States.
Well, I thank all of you in Barah Ministries who served in the military. I always think of my brother who was a United States Marine, and we're just really grateful. Uh, God bless you, and God bless America. Today's Bible lesson, spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married? Spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married? Seriously? (laughs) That's not a question you have to ask married people. They would tell you, single, of course, but we're not here for sarcasm. We're here to learn what the Word of God, the mind of Christ, has to offer on the subject. And today's lesson, the Apostle Paul, who is single and celibate himself, offers the spiritual viewpoint, God's viewpoint, of this important subject. So welcome to the study. Well, if Christianity could be summed up in a word, it would be love. And if it were summed up in two words, they would be unconditional love. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater unconditional love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And like those we celebrate on Memorial Day, the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for us believers, his friends. He gave all of himself to us, and he expects the same in return. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And as Matthew West reminds us, the Lord wants us to be all in. My feet are frozen on this middle ground. The water's warm here, but the fire's gone out. Played it safe for so long. Left turns out safe is just another word for regret. So I step to the edge and I take a deep breath. We're all down to live, but we're all scared to death. And this is the part where my head tells my heart to should turn back around, but there's no turning back now. I'm going on.
Welcome home, my child. Well done. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, gratitude is the memory of the heart. Thank you for those you have provided who have made the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms we enjoy every day. Thank you for creating them to follow in the footsteps of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, hold our current servicemen and women in your strong arms and in your righteous right hand. Cover them with your protection, your presence, and your provision. Give them your peace within their souls in the moment of battle. In grace, spare their lives. Give them courage to face each day. And let their families feel your love and support. And comfort those who still grieve for loved ones lost on the field of battle. Those we remember this day and every day. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married? Spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married. Well, we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul begins addressing problems brought up to him in the form of questions by Chloe and other people about the believers in Christ in the church at first century Corinth. And we know that Corinth is the Las Vegas of the time. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And Paul is interested in correcting erroneous thinking that is being housed in the minds of these new and immature believers. And here is an overview of the topics for Romans chapter 7, or I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verses 1 to 5, it talks about sexual relations within the marriage. We're going to review today what we learned last week on that, and then we're going to press on. Today's uh, section is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. Is it best to be single and celibate, or is it best to be in marriage? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16 are instructions about divorce, both for married Christians and for Christians married to unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24 talk about the guiding principle of the chapter, which is remain as you are, status quo. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40, discuss the advisability of marriage for the engaged and for widows. So again, this is not Paul teaching on marriage. This is Paul answering questions that were being asked of him by Chloe and other people about what was going on in the Corinthian church. So we don't forget that part. So some in the church at Corinth believed that sexual abstinence, celibacy for married couples is a good idea. Seriously? (laughs) They intended to impose their will on others. So much of what happens within Christianity is similar coercion. I think of the great oxymoron, the Christian religion. Christianity and religion don't mix. They don't go together. But that's what religion does. What religion will do is grab Christianity, drag it into religion, and try to mix in religion into Christianity, thus perverting it. It's the equivalent of making a cake 
and then pouring gasoline in the cake instead of water. Now, if you pour gasoline in a cake batter mix, you know what I mean? In a cake mix batter, it's going to taste a lot like gasoline and not at all like a cake. And when you put it in the oven, it's going to explode in your face. And that's exactly what religion is. It's this thing that leads you to believe that it's Christianity, and then eventually it blows up in your face. And one of the things that I am most grateful to God for is the fact that he sent me through religion for 21 years and had it blow up in my face. And then he sent me through legalism for 29 years and had it blow up in my face so that I could finally let him repair my face and then go into Christianity and find out what grace is all about. Because when I talk to religious people, they can't fool me. When I talk to legalistic people, they can't fool me. Because I've already been through that. And I'm just trying to help them to make the explosion happen in their face faster so that they can get onto it and get over to the grace side of the street. Amen? All right, so, so there were these people in the Corinthian church who believed that sexual abstinence for married couples was a good idea, and they were imposing their will on others. Uh, and, and that's exactly what happens in Christianity, which is coercion, the desire to superimpose man's view the doctrines of, and precepts of men over the top of God's view, which, of course, is perfect. And a reminder of last week's study concerning sexual relations within the marriage relationship, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. And I hope the married couples who listened to this passage enjoyed their sexual relationship all week, multiple times. Amen? Because that is what God wants you to do. Oh, we're talking about sex again. Giggle, giggle. I hope you're talking about it again next week. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, such as, isn't it the highest, most virtuous good for a married man not to touch a married woman? OMG, please. Remember that as Paul is addressing these different questions, he always starts the answer, now concerning. And he reminds us of what he's being asked so he can answer it. So that's what's going on here. Isn't it the highest, most virtuous good for a married man not to touch a married woman? That's what the celibate ascetics in the Corinthian church were proposing. And they thought that they would, would have a great argument because Paul is single and celibate. So naturally, they didn't tell him because they wanted his opinion. They, they wanted to tell him because they wanted him to endorse what they were thinking. Uh, so, you know, you can always say Latin's a great language because uh, it, it's, it's one of those languages that's really precise. And when you're starting a question in Latin that you expect a, per, a particular answer to, there's a word that you use that cues it that you're expecting a particular answer. So when you ask a question in Latin and you want the person to say yes to the question, you start the question with nane, which is not no. Nane is not no. So that's what they did here, but only in the Greek. Isn't it? Aren't I right? Nane, isn't it the highest? Most virtuous good for a married man not to touch a married woman. And I'll tell you something. When people are talking to me and they just want me to affirm what they already think, I hate that. I want to choke them when I find out that that's what they're doing. I just want to choke the life out of them. 
It's like, you don't need my affirmation about your already formed thoughts. If you already thought it, then think it. You don't need anybody on the outside to tell you that how wonderful you are and how great your thoughts are. Well, when we're a product of Satan's teaching, and when we think about sex, we are bad, dirty, and wrong. Amen? Because that's what Satan teaches us. Sex is bad, dirty, and wrong. And when we desire sex, we are bad, dirty, and wrong. Especially you women with your subtle little game, pretending like you don't like sex. Amen? (laughs) I got 90 women in here. I'm not saying amen to that. But that's what Satan does. And he does it to men and women. What is it? You, You think about sex, you're bad, dirty, and you're wrong. You desire sex, you're bad, dirty, and you're wrong. You have sex, you're bad, dirty, and you're wrong. You talk about sex, you're bad, dirty, and you're wrong. Then he sets up the temptations to woo us to the very thing that is, you guessed it, say it with me, bad, dirty, and wrong. What's up with that? That's how a tyrant acts. That's how a person with no integrity whatsoever and no character whatsoever acts. They, they tell you what you shouldn't be doing, and they lure you to that very thing. And that's what Satan does. And so there's so many people in this world, and especially married people, who can't even have a conversation about sex, who can't even talk to their kids about sex, who are totally embarrassed about talking about sex, who get the little giggle when they talk about sex because sex is bad, dirty, and wrong. That whole thought is bad, dirty, and wrong. And pathetically enough, we buy into Satan's game. And we think the sex is bad, dirty, and wrong. It is not. Okay, so you had a mother who was a legalistic prude who pretended not to have sex or to like sex. And then the mom's got 12 kids. What, a, what, a, what, a, what was this, the 12-kid immaculate conception? What, did aliens drop them off in a spaceship? I mean, do you get it? That's, what, that's another thing that makes me want to choke the life out of somebody, where they're talking this one thing, and then their actions are completely different. They're talking about, oh, sex is bad, dirty, and wrong, and you know they're doing it every chance they get. Just have fun. That's what God is saying here. Clearly, bad, dirty, and wrong is not the viewpoint concerning sex from the creator of sex, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what is his thinking about it? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But because of the temptations of sexual immoralities, the Greek word porneia, like fornication and purchasing sex for hire with strangers, prostitution, each man is to have sex with his own wife, And each woman is to have sex with her own husband. So what did Paul say to the celibate ascetics in answer to their question, isn't it better for a married man not to touch a married woman? He said, no, it's not better. It does not make you superior and moral and elitist like you like being. Not at all. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. The husband must fulfill his sexual obligation to his wife. How? By making himself available to her. And likewise also, the wife must fulfill her sexual obligation to her husband. 
How? By making yourself available to him. And it's obvious, you know, when you talk about this in, uh, with people, it's always funny to me because the, the couples start looking at each other. Why are you looking at each other? Why don't you have a conversation about it? Why don't you stop acting like five-year-olds about it? If it's not going the way you think it ought to go, why don't you talk to somebody about it? Why don't you act like a grown-up? Why don't you have what you call the tough conversation, which isn't tough at all. It's the conversation you ought to be having all the time if you care about intimacy in your relationship. But this is how willing we are as Christians to put up with a bunch of crap. As if the Christian way of life is this self-effacing, punishing life. And that's what Satan wants to believe it is. This whole Christian life is bad, dirty, and wrong. No, it isn't. And guess what, Satan? We ain't going to the lake of fire. You are. Because you rejected that life. Amen? All right. So does anything about verses 2 and 3 sound like God's attitude is bad, is that sex is bad, dirty, and wrong? Does anything sound like that? Answer me. No, it does not sound like that at all. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband has authority over her body. And conversely, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife has authority over his body. The break from the authority relationship, sexual relations between a husband and a wife is a vacation from the authority relationship. It is for fun, first and foremost, and secondly, for pro. Creation. So now the command. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. So stop depriving one another, except by mutual agreement for a short time, so that you may withdraw to devote yourselves to prayer. And then have sexual intercourse again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right? So that was the section we studied last week. Now let's look at the next session. Section 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. The matter of single or married, what's better? The Apostle Paul is giving spiritual insights on the single celibate life versus the married life. 1 Corinthians 7, 6. But I say by way of concession, not of command. I say this by way of concession, not of command. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. 1 Corinthians 7, 8. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it's good for them if they remain even as I. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And it has there burn with passion. That is not in the original Greek. It does not say burn with passion. And we'll talk about why when we study verse by verse. So, is it better to be single or to be married? When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll learn what Paul and the Bible have to say about this important matter. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me? It's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married? Is it better to be single or to be married? Well, if two words describe our God other than unconditional love, the two words would have to be, He gave. We have a God who is always giving. And we, as we give to meet God's needs for His flock, He reciprocates overwhelmingly for our needs just as he demonstrated in the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, God the Father will supply all your needs in abundance according to his glorious riches for those in union with Christ Jesus. So give generously at the offering just as he gave. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the the Word of God. And as we've been studying this, you know, Paul and the Corinthians and going through this, I've had a thing just in my head all, all through this study is just kind of thinking about all in. Are you all in? And so these people that are in Corinth are getting pulled away from their Christianity, just like the pastor was just talking about Christianity being pulled by religion, being pulled into it. That's what Christians get. They get pulled into religion. They get pulled into their, their sin nature. They get pulled into the, these things that we, have, we lack self-control from. And <clears throat> you just think about <clears throat> when we go to be a Christian, are we all in? You know, when you come to church, are you all in? Are you here or are you just here and sleepy? And, you know, you think about the military. When, they go into, when someone goes in the military, they're not just kind of in the military. They sign their life on the line. They're all in their life. And in the Bible, we see something that kind of talks about this. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. And that's something we should do as Christians in our relationships, in our marriages, but also at church. It shouldn't be what I have left. It should be what I have, all of me, in, in marriage or in your giving. And so we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I, Paul, beg you, brethren, believers in Christ, as you keep on being persuaded because of the many mercies of God, to present your bodies by choice, not command, as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God the Father, which is your spiritual service of worship. So the people in the military, they gave of their first fruits, and they honored this by giving their, the ultimate sacrifice, especially those Memorial Day. And so, I mean, it's the same for us when we, when we take a step back from such a serious subject. Well, I mean, I guess family is still serious, but in a family, are you all in? You know, as a dad, you hear this, the term deadbeat dads. You hear about a lot of dads that just disappear, and they just leave their kids, and they don't ever help them. And, you know, that doesn't help society. That doesn't help the kids. It doesn't help the, the dad. You know, they're missing out on a really amazing spiritual development of their own life. Um, but then you see... We're talking about sex. Are you all in? You can't just be kind of in sex. You got to be there, or you're, you know. And so, people can tell it's it's one of those things where you have to be all in, and that's how it is at church. Are you all in? Are you here? Are you giving of your first fruits? Is it a time, time, talent, and treasure sacrifice of your whole body? And it's really easier said than done. But once you do anything for God, it's just so much easier. Anything in God's plan is just easier. You don't come up against resistance. 
You might get somebody that thinks you're silly because you're a Christian, but everything just goes easier. I had, I was at Target the other day, and people are rushing up to this line. They got all the new lines with COVID going on, and everybody's just anti getting close to each other and anti being friendly. And this lady was coming up, and I could tell she, I was first, but she thought she was first. So I just <laughs> go ahead. I, I don't care. And then another lady was coming up. Was like, feel free. And then as they were standing in line, they kind of got caught up, and a lady came over. Here, sir, I can help you. She pulled me out of line and got help. And so it's just one of those things where if you do the right thing, if you do something that's not of yourself, think about others, it's just so much easier. God's right there watching us and helping us and ushering us through. And I think if I would have fought with those ladies, then I would have been stuck in line, and then they would have got pulled off, and then I would be mad. So (laughs) it's the same thing with... Same thing with giving at the offering. I mean, it's just, are you all in? Is it something, is it from the first fruits? And it's, it is going to be a sacrifice. Because God sacrificed, the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed all. So we could just sacrifice a little bit at the offering. And so, thank you for your consistent giving. And we really appreciate all those that lost their lives. You know, my, my grandpa and my dad went over, overseas and came home. So I'm fortunate, and some people aren't. So let's remember them today. Thank you. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, spiritually speaking, is it better to be single or to be married? Is it better to be single or to be married? So i just like to say hello to a couple of people. So our buddy Norbert Chagoya is listening online and streaming. So say hi to Norbert, everybody. And then I want to say hello to my friend Dave Auerbach in Chicago. He is... One of my best friends ever, as we've had about a 45-year relationship. He's Jewish, and I fully expect him to believe in his Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to remember the little book that he has on his coffee table. And he asked me one time, he's got this book on the coffee table, and he says, why is Jesus Christ so prominent in this diagram? And of course, it's because he's the Jewish Messiah, that's why he's so prominent, Prominent. So, Dave, I swear I'm going to come down to hell and beat you to death if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, because heaven would not be the same without you, my friend. 
So thanks for listening and uh, for always tuning in. You can be closet Christian. You don't have to tell everybody that you did it. You just do it on your own. You don't have to tell everybody. You know, Deacon Denny, you're talking in the offering message. Look, you know what? Being all in is so much easier than towing the water. It's so much easier than towing, towing the water. And I cannot stand towing the water people because they, they work too hard. It drives me crazy. It's like you don't have to work that hard. Just get naked and get in the pool. Amen? Amen. All right, especially the naked part. And we're talking about sex. I don't know that you knew that or not. But anyway, welcome back. So let's look at the passage under study verse by verse. God has a personal plan for each of us, an individual custom-made plan for each of us. Every hair on our head is numbered. And Paul highlights this obviousness in this short section of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. Here's what it says. Now I, Paul, say the following things, not as a command, but as an agreement, as a choice. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. I wish that all of you were as I myself am, single and celibate. However, each Christian has his very own grace gift from God. One has a gift in this manner, and another has a gift in that manner. So remember, the church at Corinth is a church with divisions and rivalries. Some people in the church are elitist. Some people in the church are poor. And as Paul will teach us later in this letter, some see their spiritual gift as more important than the spiritual gift of the lesser members of the congregation. And so... These married ascetic faction, the married ascetic faction within the church, the ones who thought that celibacy in marriage is a good idea, saw themselves as more spiritual and more honorable than others. And the Apostle Paul says here, not true. Celibacy is not a normal human function for those who are created by God as sexual creatures to be fruitful and multiply. Amen? Amen. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. Celibacy is not a normal human function for those who are created by God as sexual creatures to be fruitful and multiply. You are not going to be fruitful and multiply if you are avoiding sex. And that's what Satan wants you to do. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be fruitful and multiply, and especially if you're a Christian. He doesn't want any more of us around. Celibacy does not come as a result of self-mastery, as Roman Catholics might contend by asking their priests to be celibate. That's not just something that you have the willpower and the discipline to overcome, that is as cruel and inhumane a doctrine as there can be for those who just can't do it. And who are those who just can't do it? Those who burn with passion. The doctrine invites violation. If celibacy is a matter of discipline, it would imply that we can take credit for our works in this matter. You see, if the, the, the married and celibate Christians in the Corinthian church could actually pull that off, if they could actually 
with uh, withhold or uh, abstain from sex in marriage, then they would be honorable and more spiritual. But they're not doing it. They're just talking about it. And in the background, they're having sex in their marriage. They're lying, just like all legalists do. They lie. Oh, you got to keep the law, and then you turn around, and they're breaking every single law. Because what happens when you make a law? It gets broken. Don't eat my Snickers bar. Have anything else in the refrigerator but my Snickers bar. What's the first thing to go? The Snickers bar. Amen? Shut up. (laughs) Paul doesn't think that people should be trapped in a vow that goes against their very nature. And for most of us, our very nature is to burn. Now, because God works in ones, to each of us he has given a single spiritual gift. And because Paul says his celibacy is a gift from God, it might have been included for some apostles as part of the gift package. But since there were married apostles, it's likely that celibacy is not a spiritual gift as God did not distribute it to every part, uh, apostle. And we know that we have a God who is without partiality. So if it was a spiritual gift, he'd give it to all the apostles, and that was not the case. So it may just be a matter of God's grace that Paul was able, able to be celibate, that he did not burn. The power to control ourselves comes from God. If you're ever wondering how to get that overwhelming burn under control, You just have to ask God to do it because, believe me, you are not going to do it. This is not self-generated. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8, But I, Paul, say to the unmarried and to the widows that it's good for them to remain single and celibate, even as I am single and celibate. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9, But if they are not, and this this not is the strongest not in the Greek language, ook, if they are absolutely positively not exercising self-control, or said another way, if they are burning with sexual passion, which they are, let them marry. And this is the imperative mood, the mood of command. If you are burning with sexual passion, then you should get married. Why? Because it's better to marry than to burn. And the word to burn means to be a flame with passion. Amen? <laughs> you guys you guys are so funny. Y'all sitting there looking like, why didn't I know this when I was 20? Because you were goofing off. You weren't looking for a pastor when you were 20 years old so you could get some real direction. You had to come get a pastor after you got your butt kicked all over the place and didn't know what to do with yourselves. Amen? That's when I became a pastor, when I had tired of the butt kickings, amen? And then I signed up for more butt kickings, but that's beside the point. So the idea of being a flame with passion comes from the Greek word eros. You may be familiar with the Greek god Cupid. That's the Roman name for the god Cupid, whose name is Eros in Greek, the god of love who inspired a passion that could not be quenched. And we get the English word erotic from Eros. And you may be familiar with a song by Sam Cooke 
called Cupid. He says, Cupid, draw back your bow. I didn't ask for no help, June. I didn't ask for your help. I'm singing this. You sing the last song. I'm singing this just four lines. I don't need your help. Amen. <laughs> She's looking at me like, yeah, you do need my help. Please don't sing. <laughs> so Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow flow straight to my lover's heart for me. Nobody but me. Yeah, that's what Cupid did. Cupid had pull back the arrow and shoot somebody and they would love you forever. Eros, irresistible passion, passion that is a flame, and it is quenched temporarily by sexual intercourse. So you go into sexual intercourse and you have this burning passion, and then a moment later it's gone. It's amazing. God is so amazing in his creation. Celibacy, on the other hand, does not quench passion, for sex for hire with strangers doesn't quench passion. Paul contends that the best choice for those with irresistible passion is marriage because it is better to marry than to burn, to be aflame with irresistible passion. In other words, celibacy is good for some and not for others. That's not what the celibate ascetics, married couples, wanted to hear. They wanted to hear, yes, you should abstain from sex in marriage, and then Satan would have had a stronghold and been on the way to ruin a whole bunch of marriages because that's what he always wants to do. Because if there's one thing that can ruin a marriage, it's when you deprive each other sexually. It can ruin it. So what Paul is saying here is if being single gives you angst, it's probably better to marry. Amen? Also, Paul contends that marriage is less desirable than celibacy, but it's better than fornication, which is premarital sex. Celibacy is best for those who have received it as a grace gift from God, just as Paul has received it as a grace gift from God. In other words, Paul, God helped Paul control his sexual passion because he was single and because he had work to do. And what was the work he had to do? He had to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And so God got Paul all straightened out. Well, I was asked this week, how would you know if you have the gift of celibacy? And that's real easy. If you burn, if you are constantly aflame with passion, then you don't have the gift of celibacy. Amen? Amen. All right, so... Here's something you need to know, and this is going to shock you now. Having sexual desire is not a sin. Having sexual desire is not a sin. It is not bad, it is not dirty, and it is not wrong. But that's what Satan wants you to believe. Having sexual urges takes the focus off of full-time Christian service, however. Why? Because it splits your focus. Being married takes the focus off of full-time Christian service. Why? Because both of these carry obligations with it. And what sexual urges in marriage don't carry is guilt. You know what God says in another passage in the Bible? He says that if you are married and you don't take care of the obligations of marriage, like sex, you're worse than an unbeliever. How about that? All 
All right, so <laughs> you thought everybody was going to join you, didn't you? <laughs> You're out there all by yourself. You hear that limb cracking a little bit? Uh, you are, the, with an emphasis on the liar part. Anyway, so is it better to be single and celibate, or is it better to marry? Only you know what's right for you, and you determine what's right for you by using God's guidance. But I think one of the best things is if you don't rush into marriage. I think one of the best things, if you just stop and take a look at the situation, because fools rush in where the wise fear to tread. Amen? Pastor accepted. All right. So, the closing. <laughs> uh, we don't even want to talk about that one. All right. So, the closing moments of our study today are for the benefit of anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. Now, if you closed your eyes in this life right this moment and found yourself standing before the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Lord asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Now, just for, the, for, for your information, such a scenario would never happen because that's not how God works. But let's just suppose. Many would talk about what a good person they are. Many would talk about all their good works all the things they've done to earn and to deserve entrance into heaven. Well, the Bible has bad news for good people who want to work their way into heaven. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Now to the one who works for salvation, his payment is not paid as if it were a gracious favor, but his payment is paid because it is what he is due. It is paid to him as what he has earned because of the work. The bad news is that your goodness as a person and your hard work are not good enough to get you into heaven because they are not perfect. You were born with a problem. From the moment of your physical birth, God considered you a sinner. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says this, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In addition to being a sinner... You commit personal sins. Sinners and those who sin simply don't meet God's absolute righteousness standard because God requires perfection to get into heaven. So being a good person or trying to work your way into heaven with good but imperfect deeds does not impress God at all. It's not your fault that you're a sinner from physical birth, but it is your circumstance. And unfortunately, being a sinner... An unbeliever has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. That's what God told Adam and Eve in the garden. You eat from that tree, dying, die. Dying spiritually, you will die one day physically. The Lord Jesus Christ himself passed along this very bad news to a self-righteous Pharisee Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 3, he said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, the spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God the Father in heaven. And Nicodemus, a 20-year Pharisee, almost passed out. He couldn't believe that he had studied for 20 years and missed it. What happened? Oh, the religion blew up in his face, amen? 
because it always does. Well, the gospel message is the good news concerning what God did to fix the bad news for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind, and that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. Absolute righteousness is the admission ticket to heaven, and it is the key to eternal life, the resurrection life. And it is yours, free of charge, if you want it. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 11 say this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness, your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, choosing faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, for Scripture says, Whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. So if your eyes closed in this life, right this moment, and you found yourself standing before the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Lord asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? It's easy. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. All you have to say is, I believed in you when I was alive, Lord, and that's all it takes to get to heaven, and you'd be right. So heed the invitation and the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. He who believes in the Jewish Messiah has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. There is a hell. It is a very real place, and it is described this way in the Bible. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 43. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, all unbelievers, and those who commit lawlessness, unbelievers. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous, believers in Christ, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. For those without a relationship with Christ, He'll just ask them to step to the left and take the elevator. Just press now. Don't let that be you. Sinners need a Savior. Unbelievers need a Savior. And that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him, and you will be saved. Well, let's close with some music. When we celebrate Memorial Day, we celebrate a basic tenet of Christianity. Freedom. Psalm 119, 
Verse 45 says this, and I will walk in freedom for I seek your precepts. When you learn the word of God, you will walk in freedom. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, for you were called to freedom, freedom, believers in Christ. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through unconditional love, serve one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord and the Spirit are the same in essence. And where the Holy Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And for you believers in Christ, where the Holy Spirit of the Lord is, is indwelling you. So inside of you, there is freedom. As believers in Christ, we have freedom. But for those in the world, they remain in slavery to sin, even though the Lord has purchased them from sin's slavery. Here's June Murphy speaking to unbelievers in her song, Calling You to Freedom. Faith alone 
That's two weeks in a row. The drugs are working. That's awesome. <laughs> Excellent, June. Thank you. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because God cares for you. God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you very much for all the provision and the protection and the planning you do for us. And we thank you for your magnificent presence in our lives. We thank you for all the people that you've put on the earth to protect us, especially the servicemen and women that we celebrate this weekend. And we pray that uh, you remind us all as Christians to be all in, to be all in for the unbelievers in our periphery as we share with them the gospel message, to be all in for our church as we come not only with our money, but with our presence and edify each other, forsaking not the gathering together of ourselves. And we pray that you help us as we go out into the world to continue to take in the word because the truth is only the only way that our spiritual eyes will be able to see the deceptions in this kingdom that we live in. And we're just so grateful to you that one day we're going to live in a kingdom, your kingdom, where there is no deception, there is no guile, and there is nobody who's not on the other person's side. Thank you for that. And we ask for your continued blessings, the blessings of adversity and prosperity, the tribulations that grow us and take us to the spiritual gymnasium. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, we have a big crowd here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. So great to have all these people here. Thank you.